0: Hi there, this is Jim Menick. Not that long ago, Wednesdays meant Nostrum. Every Wednesday, Jules, O'Shaughnessy, and the Nostrumite would send out a new episode of the Nostrum story to anybody who had signed up for it. Additionally, they would let the world at large know that it existed by sending a message to the LD List server, which was the central communication area of the day. That was a long time ago, though. And oh, I don't know, a couple of years ago maybe, they then they finally gave up sending them out and certainly gave up writing them. After, well, three or four years of weekly episodes with very few breaks. Now, if you haven't been following uh, my blog, you may not know it, but Jules is uh, living in uh, the Republic of Moldavia and may in fact be of royal blood and uh, is trying to establish his claim uh, to the throne. Uh, the nostromite is living in Cambridge, He is teaching debate at Tennessee Williams High School. He is married, and uh, he has a new baby, the Nostrumet. So he's uh, doing pretty well. And I think Jules is probably doing pretty well, too. But needless to say, the boys are both, well, either busy or just not interested in Nostrum anymore. But uh, I sort of missed it, if you want to know the truth. Um... I I didn't think we could, you know, continue writing new ones or something like that. I didn't think that I would ever get them to do that. But I did get them to agree to let me uh, do some broadcasting of the old episodes. Now, in the old days, uh, not only did you get the episode from uh, Jules and the Nostromite, but Jules always wrote a nice letter, an epistle from Jules, essentially. And uh, in those letters... He would pretty much summarize what was going on with the guys and uh, talk about maybe some of the issues of the day that had nothing to do with debate and just sort of let everybody know that the episodes were available if they wanted to go to the website or to look for them in their mailboxes or whatever the case may be. Now, I don't know if I can find those old epistles. I'm going to look for them. Um, I certainly never bothered to save them. They seemed ephemeral at the time, and Jules says that he doesn't have them, and the Nostromite uh, knows that he does have them, but he can't find them, which sounds very Nostromitic to me. Uh, but nonetheless, I'm going to keep looking and, and digging and, and seeing what I can find, because some of those epistles were sort of fun, and it'd be nice to hear some of them again. Maybe I'll use them as introductions to to Nostrum episodes as, as we perform them. Uh, One of the things you're going to notice if you follow this is that there seems to be more than one name for each episode. Uh, The name that I'm putting on the website is actually the name that used to be in the head, in the HTML file. There's also another name that just used to be the name that was at the top of the uh, episode itself that was being mailed out. Additionally, there was always a third name that was provided in the coming attractions. Jules and the Nostromite always said that next week's episode would be called such and such, but in fact never did call next week's episode such and such. So there's three names for each episode and I'm just going to let you sort that out because it's just a little too complicated for me. I do ask you to remember, since I can't get the guys to update the material, and I'm certainly not going to do it, I do ask you to remember that this stuff was written back in the 90s. Um, This was a period, uh, very noticeably, especially even just in the very first episode, a period before cell phones. Um, It was certainly a period before uh, postmodernism was popular in debate. And uh, it was a period when there was no uh, uh, defeat Long John's website. Uh, Back then, there was, as I said, this LD list server. And everybody communicated on that. And they said pretty much exactly the same things they say now on, on defeat Long Johns. But, um, you know, it was just a different medium for doing so. So what you're going to be hearing is just a little step back into the not-so-distant past. I think you're going to find that most of it is not that different from the way things are today. There are some specifics that may not be the same, but the world of forensics has just not changed that much. I will try to provide commentary as we go through, but mostly I'm just going to try to read them as the guys wrote them uh, and just for your entertainment. Uh, sometimes there will be references, especially at the ends of the episodes, that may be just totally unintelligible. Um, I will probably work uh, with the might and maybe Jules if I can get in touch with them. I have to point out Jules uh, is very hard to get in touch with. Uh, there is uh, internet and telephones and things like that in Moldavia, but they never turn them on. And um, also they are like seven or eight hours different from us. Uh, and, and unfortunately, it's never the, sev- the same seven or eight hours, so you never really know what time it is there. So that's like a good place for Jules, but really hard for us to get in touch with them. Uh, the Nostromite, on the other hand, since he has uh, the little baby, the Nostromite, and he's living there with uh, Odalai uh, in Cambridge, I can get in touch with him pretty readily. So if I do need new material, I'm sure uh, it'll be forthcoming from him, especially when school is out. Um, Tennessee Williams has a fairly normal uh, schedule for school. So, you know, if school is in, the Nostromite will be available. If school's out, he'll be home changing diapers. So there'll be no problem. I trust getting updated material uh, when we need it. Aside from that, there really isn't much to say. But I'm really glad that you're giving this a listen. And I hope you enjoy it. And if you don't like it, um, I'm gonna eventually provide the Nostromite's email so you can complain to him because I don't really care. Um, and if you do like it, then I think that'd be nice to tell me that you like it because uh, I'm the one doing all the work. He already did his work and people yelled at him 10 years ago, uh, whether they liked it or didn't like it. So, um, you know, leave him out of it if you if you like it. I'll, I'll take the credit. And, 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 you know, if you wanna send money or or goods, you know. If you like to send goods, um, I'm, I'm I'm fine with that. You can send all the goods you want. Um, electronic goods, especially. I mean, as you're listening to this, you're probably saying, "Gee, this guy's a crappy microphone." So you can send me like a good microphone. I, that would be good. Um, you know. But other than that, um, just sit back and enjoy it. And we're gonna do this every Wednesday, just like they did in the old days. And you can just tell yourself, if this is Wednesday, it must be Nostrum. Nostrum, The Debate Soap Opera, where deontology is more than just an idea, it's a rebuttal, by Jules O'Shaughnessy and the Nostromite. Episode 1, The Young and the Clueless. At six o'clock in the morning, autumnal fog and darkness blend over the roads, and travel is difficult. The car's intermittent wipers scratch the mist off the windshield while the not-yet-heated air of the defroster feebly blows against the inside of the frosted glass. Keeping one hand on the wheel, the driver swipes an area clear with a paper towel so that he can gain at least a glimpse of the road ahead of him. "'Are these things always this early?' he mutters. "'Some are worse than others, I think,' his passenger responds. "'It would have killed you to take up an afternoon activity?' the driver asks. "'Like what? Football?' "'Sure.' The driver takes a quick look at his son and responds with a sage-like grunt. Football was definitely out. Debating, perhaps, was in. How many others are going? The man asks. There's three other novices. We'll go on the bus together and meet up with the rest of the team down there. Those are the older kids? Yeah, they started debating yesterday. They usually do overnights. But when we start out, we just do one-day tournaments. When do you start doing overnights, the man asks. He could already envision not having to wake up again at 5 a.m. on a Saturday to trek Ham Jr. over to the high school again. Overnights would mean sleeping in. Yeah. I don't know. Doesn't the coach tell you anything? Hamlet P. bugleroni Jr. shakes his head. The coach doesn't talk to novices. We are not worthy. Ham Sr. grunts again. He can remember the so-called mystique of coaches and their teams from his own high school days as a star fullback. The coach was supposed to reach down into your soul and pull up the best you were, using techniques that combined Jesuitical wiles with mountain man orneriness, and that led to the kid worshipping the ground that the coach spat his tobacco chaw on. Ham Sr. had never worshipped his coach, old Mr. Groiner, but that was the result of the scandal with the junior high kids. I'll have to call you to let you know when we get back, Ham Jr. says. They say we never know when we'll get here until we get here. Well, I'll be glued by the phone waiting, his father replies. Try not to make it too late. I want to get Chinese for dinner. Well, sometimes they eat on the way home. Great. So what about me? Um, get Chinese and eat yours and, and heat up the rest for me when I get home. What if you call while I'm out getting the food? Ah, uh, well, yeah, Ah, oh, well, indeed. Jeez the car makes the turn onto Main Street. Even though the school is only a few hundred yards ahead, perched high on a hill and always brightly lighted, like a sentry overlooking the old mill town of Knighton, New York, it cannot be seen through the thick fog. What a morning, Ham Senior says. As they drive slowly down Main Street, the school begins to come into view above them. The yellow central tower first, glowing in its misty spotlights. Then each progressive story from the third floor down materializes one after the other, like layers of a cake ranged in reverse order. Finally, the old, ugly building is visible as Ham Sr. pulls up the driveway. It hasn't changed one chipped flake of jaundice-colored paint since he graduated there 26 years ago. Old Yeller, they used to call it. A concrete sign on their left announces the official name of the place, Night and Day School. Below the name, plastic letters in the marquee spell out, Welcome Homecoming Class, except it's Welcome Home without an E, C space M-I-N-G, and for some reason, G-R-A space S. A reminder of last week's big game against arch-rival T.L. High. T.L. had been their arch-rival when Ham Sr. was a fullback. They had lost his four years straight nothing ever changes. They'd lost this year, too. In front of the building, a small school bus is puffing diesel exhaust fumes into the air. Ham Sr. pulls up behind it and stops the car. Ham Jr. pushes his door open. Good luck, his father tells him. Good luck, Ham Jr. replies distractedly as he draws himself out of the car. In the moment of making that exit, he completely traverses the nameless gap that separates the world of family and child from the world of school and self. He is no longer Ham Jr. He is no longer Hamlet P. bugleroni Jr. No. Now he is a new person, one word, simply bugleroni bugleroni He slams the car door behind him and walks to the front of the bus bugleroni thirteen years old five feet ten inches tall and unable to push the scale over a hundred thirty pounds even fully dressed and having just eaten his grandmother's infamous lasagna he's wearing his favorite cap it's red tightly fitted around his head and it says nothing which he considers a major statement a dark blue blazer that he bought three weeks ago already hangs on his lean frame like a hand-me-down from a shorter deceased relative who wouldn't be needing it any more. His chinos, which he should have bought three weeks ago, along with the blazer, but he swore to his grandmother that he had plenty of pants already and they fit fine, come down to about four inches above his heels, providing a wide gap to display his brown and green argyle socks, which he wears over an additional pair of white tube socks. bugleroni always wears two pairs of socks, when he wears socks at all. His belt, uh, he forgot to put on a belt this morning, he does that a lot. His black penny loafers, borrowed from his father, are the only things he's wearing, excluding probably his underwear, which we won't get into, but thank God he did, that actually fit properly. And last, there is the tie that hangs unknotted under the frayed collar of his button-down white shirt. At its base, it is three inches wide and displays a full-color portrait of Captain John Luke Picard. In his left hand is a battered brown backpack containing all the worldly goods he's been advised to bring with him for his tournament debut. Buglaroni. The bus door opens to accept him within its welcoming confines. He steps up into the dry warmth of the magical chariot on which he will begin his quest into the unknown frontiers of high school debating. The driver, chewing on the edge of a bagel held within a sheet of folded wax paper, studiously ignores him, as drivers do. In the back of the bus, the other three freshman novice debaters are already assembled. They look up at him silently as he makes his way down the aisle to join them. Hey, he says in greeting as he tosses his backpack onto an empty seat and plops himself down next to it. Buglaroni, one of the Tartan twins, Frick, responds unenthusiastically. The bus shakes for a moment, then pulls off with a jolt. I was up like forever last night. Buglaroni says, reaching into his backpack and pulling out a yellow legal pad. Anybody have an affirmative case I can copy? The Tarleton twins exchange glances. In the seat in front of them, Camelia Maru lowers her eyes to her hands folded in her lap. Hamlet P. Buglaroni, the novice from hell, has arrived. Will Buglaroni take top honors at his first tournament? Will Scarlet go to the picnic with the Tartan twins? How long do we have to wait before we introduce Cartier Diamond? What does any of this have to do with Immanuel Kant? Find out the answers, sort of, in our next installment, exploring the categorical imperative with gun and camera.